and I was a hippie kid from Indiana. I yeah. uh, I had to rent a tuxedo in New York City, and I didn't even know how you did that. I think one of the early impressions was, rather than be a gee whiz, I'm with celebrities. I was just a kid from Indiana still. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Focus Right Pro Podcast. This is a mostly bi-monthly show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. On this episode, which is part one of a three-part conversation, Ted and I are joined by Tom Kenny, content director of Mix Magazine, where you discuss Tom's 31 years with Mix Magazine, the tech awards, buying new clothes to meet Peter Gabriel, and a whole lot more. Well, hey guys, welcome to the uh, Focus Right Pro podcast. Uh, we are uh, blessed to have uh, Tom Kenny, editor of Mix Magazine. It is editor, right? I, that's what I still call myself. Some people want to call me content director, but I think I'm still an editor. I always thought you were, and I saw that in your email signature the other day, and I was a bit curious why it said content director, but it's really great to have you on the podcast in this uh this time that we're in right now, which, you know, of course, we should probably address, you know, we're we're here, we're recording this the first day of May. We've never revealed our day of recording to our audience before, but we're doing things a bit different on this episode of the Focus Right Pro podcast. You have myself here, you have Ted, and you have Mr. Tom Kenny. We're sitting down and having a drink, mostly because... Tom's a guy I just want to have a beer with. And, uh, you know, it's not physically possible right now. So here we are. We're on Squadcast, which I love Squadcast for remote interviews. We can see each other. We're going to have a great conversation here and, and just learn about Tom's amazing career that he's had in pro audio. So, Tom, just off the bat, let's talk about this. What? Obviously, we're in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. We're all sheltering in place, staying at home. Have things changed for you? How have you been handling this? My regular life hasn't changed that much. I mean, I, I work from home originally. And so yeah. I, as an editor, I receive files and I send out files and I answer it. A lot of it is that a lot of it is working a remote collaboration to begin with, but that's uh, the rest of the world. Uh, most of my conversations involve something about coronavirus now. I mean, most of them are sure. just sort of in disbelief about how large the impact is on certain industries and such with like, you start off a conversation. If you call to talk about what, grocery delivery app you're using, somehow you're going to talk about coronavirus right now. And, yeah. you know, I had a three-hour call today as an advisory board at Full Sail University. It's certainly education, live sound. These are these are markets that dwarf what we're thinking about and that it's hard to make a record right now. I mean, Hollywood yeah. has no production. I mean, these are these are gigantic issues you can't even get your hands around right now as a journalist. Or anything so it hasn't affected me personally that much. I, I don't get to have Sunday evening dinners with my daughter and that's hard but I've waved to her twice in seven weeks through a screen door with a mask on and she lives four exits away so that part hurts but it hasn't changed my life as much I, I feel for people who aren't able to have money right now or able to go on the road or able to go to class or yeah. all that that's tough and in a minute, I'm going to plug something along those lines about the people that in our industry and, and adjacent industries, uh, I've got a good resource for them. But, uh, but Ted, how about you? What's changed in your life? I bet you've had uh, some things go on if you if you want to talk about it. Well, yeah, I mean, we just working from home. We've always had that option, fortunately, at, at Focusrite. But yeah, it's just this kind of thing. All these people and neighbors. And now that, you know, I have children and we have a full house, a very small beach house here in in the South Bay, Manhattan Beach, and it's just, it can get trying, man, right? And yeah. you, the inability to concentrate, 
even though you've got just as much work to do and yeah. you're trying to do more than ever and the stress level and staring at a friggin' computer screen way longer than you, you should. It's different. I don't know if it's healthy. So we'll see. Yeah. And yeah, it, this human interaction, it's really nice to look at someone in the face that doesn't have a mask on right now. So it's really good to see you guys, which is something I kind of love about recording with Squadcast. We don't have to record the, the, the video to have the audio here and have a good conversation. And yeah. And a good friend of ours, a good friend of the industry, Mr. Daniel Keller, who I know, you know, Tom, yeah. Ted, I believe you know him as well. Mm-hmm. He started a, a Facebook group called the AV Industry Relief Resources Group. And it's just that it's for people to go to look for help and for people to go help the people in the AV industry. And I'm sure there's uh, similar pages for pro audio as well as, um, as music, well as music uh, cares at the recording Academy. There's a number of places to go right now. And, um, yeah. And yeah, individually, because, if I can know, make a plug individually, help your, help your neighbor, help your, the people on your crew. If somebody doesn't have a job right now and you can buy them groceries, buy them groceries by the same token. I have noticed, I have noticed that people talk on the phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm cutting it. It's hard to do these conference calls. And I have, that's what, another thing that's changed is I have a lot more Zoom sessions and stuff all day long yeah, yeah, than yeah, I ever yep, have before. Absolutely. And yeah. whether this is a new form of connectivity, I don't know, but there's a lot of, sadly, I've been working at home for a while, but the rest of my company had to go home. And once they went home, they like Zoom sessions. We can cut that yeah. part out if you need to as well. <laughs> no, we're we're having a lot of those as yeah. well. And um, yeah, it like seems it. like there's an excessive amount right now. But I think that's as all companies are pivoting to what the new normal is. I think I think those calls are a bit necessary. I did take it upon myself this week to book meetings with myself just so I would have time to action some items from those meetings. Well, it's interesting, though, along those lines, though, um, I have been talking about three major articles for the July issue of Mix and going over with the sources and features and getting ready for it is, and one of them is live sound, one of them is in audio education, and the third is audio post-production. Because when we come out of this, the idea is that some of these things that we're learning in both communication right now, there will be a hybrid and a transitional period of this and such that there's are usually around events such as we don't have a precedent but new technologies develop people learn that hey we can do some of this with 12 screens and get something done and so it's not that we'll go back to a new normal already amazon netflix companies like these are talking about what does the new post-production look like when you can only have five people on a re-recording stage what does the new recording studio look like when you have to have limited people at the mix console and uh, approvals. New technologies developed for distribution of high-res audio. Mm-hmm. I've already found heard of solutions around Zoom sessions with how you can get 24-bit audio mm-hmm. as part of your sessions. There's already a bunch of workarounds for that. That's so great. a lot of this, what we're we're doing and experiencing, whether we have a, I have a birthday party Zoom session tomorrow with my sister turning 60. A lot of these types of things that we're learning will become a part of what we do. It's not going to be all or nothing, but they'll yeah. be a part of it. Yeah. It could become the somewhat the new norm, right? I mean, if people get used yeah. to working remotely, talent gets used to working remotely in all the different industries yeah. and they can provide good audio and video quality or decent enough and people accept it. It could be the new norm. And if you're a smart product developer, you're going to take this and learn from it and create some new products that yeah, allow for better quality remote production audio and video and yeah 
Absolutely. But I think if we're going to see a hybrid for a while because we still also want 20,000 people in a state in a yes. rocking out. Yeah, no, good music. And I think we'll have some combination, though, because some of these things we'll mm-hmm. learn will work. Yeah. And I don't want to dwell on it right now. It's part of every conversation in my life. It's the biggest thing we face. Yeah. Uh, whole yeah. industry shut down overnight. I mean, it's hard to get your hand, but. I'm Irish. We'll tell some stories. <laughs> Good. Let's let's do that. And, uh, and that, that seems like a really good segue, Tom, and I appreciate that. So I want to learn more about how you got involved with audio. What interested you about audio? Because I know you're a journalist and you have a master's degree in journalism. Yeah. But yeah, how did yeah. how did you come to the audio industry? Uh, I'll sound old now. I'm 56 years old, first of all. So um, I was getting my master's in journalism in Bloomington, Indiana. IU and mm-hmm. oh, it's good. Uh, it's good Yeah, and it's a great journalism school. Yeah, and I was uh, my girlfriend, who became my wife, uh, had an affection for the Bay Area. Had grown up a lot of her until about the high school in the Bay Area. And so during spring break, I sent out. I went to a library in the University and found the journalism. I found 130 publishing operations in the Bay Area, and I actually typed them into a Word 3.0 on a floppy disk and did a form letter and a tab delimited <laughs> Bailey labels and sent 130 letters before spring break. Wow. And on spring break, I went out there and I got 10 responses to those 130 letters. One was Mix. One was Sunset Magazine, a big magazine out here in the West Coast owned by Lane Publishing back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, that was deal. a big magazine. And, um, yeah. and a couple others. But I realized with a history degree and a journalism master's, I wasn't going to walk into the newspaper necessarily. So I got those interviews and I got a mix magazine was opening its new office in Emeryville, California, moving down from Berkeley, big and spacious and started to be successful, getting to be about, you know, 168 pages. And I said, uh, it was a fun open house. They invited me to the open house during spring break. I, I loved it. I mean, I didn't have anything available, but they had mix and electronic musician. And so I went back, finished school, came right back out in June and I got hired working for $5.50 an hour to proofread with a master's degree. And I bid it and did it and interviewed all around. I got offered, uh, during that summer, I got offered a job for $34,000 a year in public relations in San Francisco and was very close to taking it. I got offered a job at Sunset Magazine, but I would be an intern unpaid for the summer, and I couldn't afford to do that. And Mix offered me part-time. And then Mix came around and offered me $1,100 a month to be an assistant editor and sounded like a lot of money to me at that time. But I got him up to $1,200 a month because Karen Dunn, who runs the Tech Awards and runs my Sound for Film event in Sony and is a friend yeah. to this day, love her. got them to raise the offer from 1100 a month to 1200 a month. And so I took it. I had a decision to make and I thought the people in the genes with the music background who went to concerts and discussed technology were a lot cooler to be around than the public relations firm in San Francisco that sent out press releases for Chevron and the UC Regents and the Business Roundtable of California. I was a hippie kid from Indiana. I, I would have had to almost change my moral code. And, um, <laughs> and I went with Mix, and I've, I'm so glad I did. Yeah, and, and that, uh, that was it. I, I'm a music fan. I, I like music, but you, you've already given your your age. How many years have you been at Mix? Thirty-one. I was hired in uh, well, thirty-two coming up in July. I was hired in the summer of nineteen eighty-eight. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so you've, right. you've had your your entire career has been at Mix Magazine, uh, and and yeah. and you've seen it grow from um, 
to what it is now, which is, you know, you have the events that you mentioned, uh, the mix sound for film event and TV, and it's just a great magazine and a great resource. But tell us a little bit about the early years at mix. What, what well, was it like? I was going to say, <laughs> gonna say it, it hasn't really grown because we mix, mix got the double whammy of, you know, when the internet came around and you have music industry and publishing, both of which got very, very much affected by the development of the internet. When I joined mix, it was, it was fantastic. It's a great group of people. And then went into the go-go 90s and, you know, we had a regularly a 248-page magazine and ran the Tech Awards, big right. events. I mean, there were yeah. a lot of advertising and a lot, a lot of fun times. I had a travel budget back then, <laughs> um, <laughs> things like that. But, uh, but it, was a diff- it was certainly a different time and a different model. And I was also fortunate to be there during the transition from an analog to a digital world when living in the Bay Area. And mm-hmm. you know, people often forget that first round of the Internet, but it was something yeah. to behold. I mean, in the late 80s, early 90s, there were a lot of great ideas and not the physical infrastructure to implement those ideas. But at Mix, I mean, I walked into a, a really remarkable group of people. I mean, David Schwartz, the founder, was an Indiana University grad, which is why I got the response, I believe. Sure, he, yeah, he yeah, yeah. David Schwartz, I owe a lot to David. And Hillel Resner was the publisher then and was one of the most brilliant marketing guys I've met. And he was a marketing guy before there was a marketing degree, practically. And he taught me a lot about that. Blair Jackson, my managing editor, was the, or my editor, was the uh, managing editor at BAM Magazine, big deal out in California during the 70s, 80s, 90s. George Peterson in technology, Barbara Schultz, who hired as an editor, Sarah Jones, Joanne Zilla. I was around a lot of wonderful people. Um, yeah. And I got lucky in that sense. And they all had a passion for the technology, a passion for music. And there were a lot of hippies in the Bay Area. I mean, they were my kind of people. I went to Grateful Dead shows with Blair Jackson <laughs> and stuffed his Golden Road magazine at his house to send to fans back in the early 90s. It's a fun time to be around. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like you were in a, a good place at a good yeah, time and the right time people. for you as a person as well. Yeah, yeah the, the magazine itself back then, you know, Mix was the Bible, right? I mean, I remember yeah, when, I, when I first started out as an as an assistant in the early 90s, you know, that was the ma- the go-to magazine, man. When that came every month, you everybody poured through it. And it was hard to keep yeah. one or two copies around the studio because they would disappear. But yeah. they were just full of so much information from equipment reviews to interviews to keeping track of who's on tour maybe and who's doing some things and it was just uh just full of information it was like a little bible when i started we we had so many pages when we had so many pages when i started we had a column on cd replication i mean wow. you think about it to this day i mean it, it's like wow we had a wonder number right. of wonderful columnists to this day my best columnist i mean i grew up as a hunter s thompson fan i, oh, I grew yeah. up oh, yeah. you know, John McPhee, Tracy Kidder, these types of journalists. And Stephen St. Croix, our front of book columnist for many years, he was difficult to deal with at times. <laughs> and he sent stuff in late, just like Hunter did. And yeah. he sent in stuff that we thought was off the wall. It all proved accurate. And I became his editor. And I learned so much from Stephen. Stephen St. Croix was a great writer. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah. Paul Lehrman had an educational slant, a front of magazine writer as a columnist. And we had a budget and a lot of pages to fill. And there were some really talented people that people before me, the Blair Jacksons, the David Schwartz, the, they found those people. And I inherited a really great group of folks. And it, believe me, 31 years in a place in the Bay Area over the last people look at me like I'm a freak. No, the, I mean, 30, 
in, in any industry, yeah. that's, that's a great amount of time yeah. to be in the same position and you've moved up, you know, yeah. of, you were assistant editor. Now you're editor, content director, whatever they want to call you. Yeah. <laughs> content. Yeah. Well, yeah. I moved up. I mean, obviously it was, I was the only guy in the, in the, inside the walls of 60 people who had a journalism degree. And yeah. most people came from the industry back in those days in the trade publishing. And so I came in, I made a style book. I was a young and I started the softball team. I did everything. I started a recycling program. I was young and hungry and a metabolism that was way too high. And, uh, <laughs> And I enjoyed it. And so I moved up managing editor, editor, and then, you know, went through some tough periods when in the 2000s, when you have to lay off your, your best friends and the people who taught you, that was a difficult time. But I've always, uh, when people ask me, how are you still there? Why didn't you jump to the uh, internet startup? Or I said, I, I have, I have a good job, yeah. a really good job. So seems like you have a passion for, for mix and that's, that's yeah. your life and your home. Yeah. It started with proofreading. Recording industry listings of studios for five fifty dollars. I mean, it started at that, and yeah. I used to know every studio in the country that had a Sony JH twenty four multi track. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but that I also knew, I mean, I was, I was talking about I was talking about this with you, Dan, earlier. But also at the time, like in nineteen ninety ninety one, you know, we live in a world that has Pro Tools and, uh, and Cubase okay. Nuendo and Apple Logic Pro and. Everything else. Uh, there were 34 digital audio workstation manufacturers in 1991. There yeah. were 34 working in, a, in, in an industry that did not have either the storage, whether in RAM or ROM, did not have the bandwidth to distribute, but there were great ideas going on. I mean, people often forget how seminal opcode systems was. Yeah, yeah. Studio Vision. This was first round internet. Yeah, man. This, yeah. That was I mean, great stuff. Really, I used there. There yeah. was a. Uh, uh, AMS Audiophile, the AMS Eve Audiophile was one of the original rock and roll workstations throughout Chicago. In LA, the, the Wayframe Audio Frame, the Do Re Mi Dawn, these were people with great ideas that we really benefit from and what I call the first round of the, the first round of tech. And I was fortunate. I mean, I was here in 1988. We had one computer at Mix Magazine for 60 people in 1988. Wow. And, <laughs> and now we have digital recording and we're doing this interview with yeah, Braided we're on by the internet. screens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, this is a re an interview recording application that does not have a desktop app. It's an online yeah. only app. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, what, created in the Bay Area by some good friends of mine as well. I keep plugging Squadcast. I love those guys. But that's right. But um, it's been an exciting time. I mean, we lived my that career of mine. That thirty one years has spanned some. If you like audio and you like technology, it's a pretty damn exciting time to have been around. And I, I was very fortunate. I feel yeah, like. There has been a lot of changes. And I know one big part of your life while you're at Mix in those 31 years is the Tech Awards. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. we've all been to the Tech Awards. Ted, you won a Tech Award. Yeah, the, uh, a couple of years ago when I was at JBL, we won for the Intonato, the Intonato 24, which bears the name of my old studio. But yeah, so me and you Pete, did. So you didn't really win it. Me then. and Peter, yeah, right. <laughs> but no, congratulations. Yeah, it was great me thing. and Peter Chaykin and Jim Pennick and uh -huh. and the whole all the the crew from Salt Lake of, of Harmon that helped develop that. And all great people. Yeah, all we had people, so much yeah. fun, and and the Tech Awards was a big deal, especially to Peter. You know, for yeah. you know, he's done so much great product development over the last twenty, thirty years, whatever. Uh -huh. For him to get that, I think, was a big deal for him, and. So I was happy for him. It's just those tech oh, awards tech, are great. Yeah. You know, it's such a yeah, great gathering. And yeah, so tell us more about that. I mean, you've been with it for so long. 
Oh, I um, I walked into that mix uh, th- three or four years before I joined. They started it as a nonprofit and is a foundation arm of their media holdings, and and it turned almost overnight into a big deal. I mean, it started out as a, where they the first year they had to order pizza because they didn't order enough food for the sit down tables, and so the last people in, you know, Reggie Dink, and it grew into something that was un- unreal. I mean, a really special time in the industry because nobody celebrated the sort of technical achievement there. And it honored uh, what I've always admired about the founders of Mix, that the Tech Awards is TEC, and it stands for Technical Excellence and Creativity. Mm -hmm. And that has sort of been my guiding mantra since I joined Mix, that the reason the Tech Awards is so popular is because you have that support community that makes the tools, that it really has this nerd quality that does a startup and builds a $12,000 preamp in their garage and that's a big part of our industry. And then you also have, at the same tech award, you have Stevie Wonder. And it's this ultimate melding of uh, left brain and right brain sort of represents the, the combination of the tech awards that I find fascinating in the audio industry. Themselves, it started in 1989. Then Karen Dunn, who hired me, and is still the producer on site for the tech awards and still manages the day of activities, who hired me at Mix Magazine, she brought me in and I was an assistant the first year. And then by the second year, I was writing the script and serving as stage manager. And I was a hippie kid from Indiana. I I, uh, I had to rent a tuxedo in New York city and I didn't even know how you did that. I mean, I had no idea (laughs) how how you, how you rented a tuxedo. You have to get measured and all this stuff. Yeah. And so I find myself in the middle of like, wow, I'm stage managing and we're giving the hall of fame to brian wilson or tommy dowd or uh stevie wonder and it was a real lesson i mean putting on both an event in a hotel ballroom in one day and learning all about how you cue music and podium mic and everything else that's a working education but i got to dress in a tuxedo and write the script and once in a while they laughed at my jokes not (laughs) um, but they put me in contact with a whole bo- lot about what this industry is and yeah. uh, sort of the creative people behind it. And yes, I got to meet a lot of good people. And there's a couple of stories I'll tell you in a minute. But I think one of the early impressions was rather than be a gee whiz, I'm with celebrities. I was just a kid from Indiana still. And I wrote this about Ed Cherney at my first Tech Awards when the wonderful man Ed Cherney passed recently. And I mentioned that one of my first Tech Awards at the Biltmore Hotel, he taught me that it's okay to just be in a room full of people that might be brilliant and genius and great and on TV, but they're just regular people. And so throughout this podcast, I'll, I will be uh, saying some names, but I, I really hope nobody thinks I'm name dropping. I'm fortunate to be in a position here where I grew up in a town with three streetlights and Stevie Wonder once shook my hand and said, God bless you, Tom. That's a big deal. But Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, That's a big I, deal, man. Yeah, but it's also because I just – I. I didn't say, Stevie, your record meant so much to me. It was just sort of meeting him as a person. Yeah, and you realize right. they're all just people too. Yeah. They're all in. yeah, It's a really good point. You know, that's something that was taught to me young and every now and then I get starstruck, but uh, I'm sure you have yeah. too, though, being oh, the yeah. stage manager yeah. as a, as a kid there's, from Indiana. And, and I'm sure you have some cool stories about the, uh, the attack oh. awards. You want to, you want to spill the any tech, beans? Yeah. Oh God. Uh, they were, um, when we made it up ourselves in the production and it grew into a really nice production yeah. behind the scenes and everything. But we used to spend every Friday of AES 
or every Saturday I wouldn't go to the show and I would, we'd be doing set up all day and Larry Batiste would bring the two cold chili bone tech band and going through cues and all of the presenters and hall of fame people showed up. I mean, in the early days, I met Tommy Dowd, Tom Dowd, who I, we bow down before shows up and spends the rehearsal and is you know, all day a Saturday afternoon. And he's getting a hall of fame that night and hanging out with me, talking, telling stories. And he, he honestly said things like that's a gas, you know? And I think like, Oh boy, that's a Tommy Dow just said, that's a gas. Sam Phillips. I got to spend time and during the afternoon with him. And I mean, these are geniuses, yeah, geniuses. Yeah. Um, but you're just running around with a, a headset on and, telling jokes and that's kind of fun and then then you get to the award show and you know i've uh, uh <laughs> wonderful wonderful moments i mean who have i stood beside let's see janet jackson like I, i'm standing by her thinking you're janet jackson she was so nervous she was so nervous and i i turned to her and said you've done the super bowl you're you're nervous about presenting to a room full of engineers about jimmy jam and terry lewis and she goes she says i've been nervous every time i've ever stepped on stage wow and i thought wow uh i i was there when phil specter came out um wow. phil specter came out and he was this was before the documentary before all of that he basically hadn't made a public appearance in a while and he comes to the tech awards mm-hmm. and we don't know what he's going to say we have no idea he didn't come to rehearsal anything. and we finally get him up there and he's you know, he follows with me and everything, but he's not as personable. And he gets up there and he spent about 25 minutes berating the industry. Wow. Uh, the audio industry, his opening joke was, his opening joke, I'm at this stage, I'm five feet away, and he says, uh, you know what you get when you cross John Denver with Michael Bolton? Barney. <laughs> and um, I knew enough to know Barney the dinosaur. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, and there's a stunned silence, and I'm thinking, oh, oh no, oh no. And then he he went on to trash a lot of people and record labels and formats, and and then in the last thirty seconds he said wonderful things, glowing things about the industry, and he gets a standing ovation from eight hundred people, and I'm like, I'm standing there behind the stage saying like, he just insulted all of you <laughs> but, They'll take but then it. again you go but he's phil specter yeah. and that was wonderful yeah i saw stevie wonder twice both give an award and receive a hall of fame award and it's i mean those those uh, yeah i don't know it was almost that i'm not going to wash my hand for a week kind of right. moment when he <laughs> says and he stayed he stayed in the after party hotel room at the marriott marquee in new york city till two in the morning wow meeting people and saying hello and yeah. celebrating he, i i've uh, met him at the nam show and he's a very nice man yeah like like yeah. you said he he takes time to uh appreciate and acknowledge his fans and you know oh they I, did the les paula where i met les paula a number of times and les les was a musician from way back because yeah, of he didn't go. He didn't go to bed before three o'clock. I mean, and he was a wonderful man, just a happy guy through his eighties and everything. And we started the Les Paul Award uh, for Creative Brilliance, and and I got those special moments. I'm mean, Brian Wilson coming out right before the documentary. Jeez. I got to tell you, it was something special. I mean, we, you know, Brian, whatever you see or think or hear about me, I mean, he's a brilliant, brilliant mind. Right, right. And one of those uh, ten in a century kind of minds, and. He hadn't been out in public a lot. And Don was had done that documentary. I just wasn't made for these times, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
and he was being honored with the Hall of Fame Award. He agreed to come out. And he came during the rehearsal during that day. And we put his speech in the teleprompter. And he'd go out there. And Don was, I will remember to this day, the documentary is coming out that year. And Don was just gave this sort of stream of consciousness, acid poetry, off the cuff tribute to Brian Wilson. And I was with him. I, I knew he had no notes. Yeah. I was eight feet away behind a curtain. And brilliant and brian is right beside me at the table ready to walk on stage and his head starts lifting up and he starts, starts, starts shaking. every time his name was mentioned it was the way that don did it in yeah, rhythm yeah. and that was one of the more brilliant speeches i've ever seen and you and you see it and nobody saw that there it wasn't on mtv it wasn't on vh1 it was it was don wilson giving three and a half minutes off the top of his head to a mad genius and that's a moment you'll never forget i mean yeah I don't know how you would. I brilliant, and you salute that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what the Tech Awards is about. Those were created. Stevie Wonder is an amazingly technical man. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Being, yeah, yeah. Besides being Stevie Wonder, Herbie Hancock, Herbie Hancock, I've met a number of times. Herbie Hancock came out of Chicago, a young black man, and went to a small town in Iowa in the nineteen. 19- early 50s, you know, 15 years before civil rights, and to study music. I mean, do you know, and Herbie Hancock programs his own stuff from 1981. Yeah. Herbie right. Hancock was in on the founding of MIDI, a brilliant yeah, technology right? guy. Right. Yeah. And has the headhunters. How do you do that left brain, right brain thing? <laughs> that is brilliant to me. Yeah. And that's one of the foundations of this audio industry, yeah. I think, one of the reasons I'm here 31 years later. Yeah, Stevie's, I, I, Stevie's really technical. Um you know, I've been fortunate to, to give him some demos with speaker demos, and I ran into him when I was at SSL and stuff. But he can hear. I mean, his yeah, yeah his his ability to uh, for critical listening is just unbelievable. And when we did a, some speaker demos for him, he always it was interesting. He wanted to know everything about the speaker. He wanted to know how it was built. He wanted to feel it and touch yeah. it. And you know, he was just it was about it was about the product and not him. It was about you know, yeah. how's this going to make my life? Yeah. I mean, he, he's just a really technical person and I've always admired yeah. him because he could just, you know, sit back and be this great songwriter, but he's not, he's into the process, he's into the tech, you know, and, and how it all connects and works together, you know, as one big thing, which is what the tech awards are all about. Right. And he, yeah. and he knows how to keep a pretty good groove too. <laughs> yeah. That's Stevie Wonder yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my gosh, but that, those are moments you don't forget. I mean, I'm standing Oh, there's a dog barking. Sorry, everybody. Uh, standing next to Sting. I mean, Sting is, uh, you're standing wow. next to him. I mean, first of all, he's a little shorter than I thought, but uh, but he's, uh, <laughs> you know, you stand next to him and the most macho, heterosexual male in the world will say, that's a good looking guy. You know, like, that's Sting. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I also, uh, I mean, it was a, it's it was a magical time because it brought that night every year, the Saturday night of AES, uh, for 23 or 24 years when I wrote scripts and figured out a new way to describe the amplifier technology or can you come up with a new sentence on best amplifier? I mean, that's hard to do for 22 years. But you walk into that room that night and that celebration among the manufacturing community, boutique manufacturers and multinationals competing and the creative community where Bob Clearmountain's getting a, a Hall of Fame award and Bruce Wadid, and you go like, wow, I wonder if any other industry does it like this. 
And that's what the Tech Awards really meant to me. And hats off to Halal Rezder and Karen Dunn for making it what it was. Those are the two people that really did it. And I had wonderful times at the Tech Awards. Yeah, it grew into this amazing production. Like you yeah. said, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So another big part of your your writing career, I know, and a way that you helped pivot Mix Magazine was uh, sound for film and television. I will get right to that, but we're not allowed to use the word pivot anymore because it's one of those uh, it's one of those uh, corporate meeting words that, that, that word. all of a sudden you go like, oh no, my my CEO is using pivot. I can't use it anymore. As an well, ex-basketball like, player, it means something yeah, yeah, completely yeah. different to me. But yeah, I, I, I know it. I know you. I, I'm teasing you. It's like but. a six-month-old uh, term yeah. in the industry. Yeah. All right, the first it. round Last of the time. internet, you weren't allowed to use community. Believe it or not, community was a bad word in 1995 internet. Yeah, it was, uh, people forget that first round, but oh, uh, wow. it's funny That's things that come around. That's a good point, Piv- yeah. Pivots use that, that community Which... came back. Podcasts, you want to know something, podcasts were introduced like in 97, 98. They tried, yeah. and they failed. And now podcasts are everything. I mean, they're, they're wonderful. And I yeah. do applaud, I mean, I'm gonna cut in and give you a plug. I appreciate that you're doing this. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate that from you, you don't have to do this. and. Um, it's a good up, good thing to push it. It goes both ways. We appreciate you doing this uh, with yeah. us, and it's yeah, this has been great, and yeah, yeah. I'm glad my I'm twenty nine that... my twenty nine year old daughter does baking podcasts. That's, oh, that's really cool. The baking podcast. Yeah. You want to plug that? Do you know the name of the podcast? No, but I'll plug my daughter. Her name is Jesse, oh. and she's wonderful. All right, you I can give, an, me, give me a link to it later. I'll, I'll put the I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you a story. Okay, let me tell you a story about Jesse, my daughter, because that's a good segue. It involves Peter Gabriel and my daughter, Jesse, which is very awesome. odd. Um, <laughs> but I raised two in Oakland. I, um, I was divorced when they were young, and I raised two wonderful daughters, Molly and Jesse. Molly's in Toronto now and a midwife, and Jesse works at the San Francisco Airport Museum, but not right now. Um, <laughs> and they're both wonderful children, but they grew up with Dad being at Mix, and they used to say, Dad, they don't pay you enough, but the perks are awesome. And uh, that's right. They got to go to movies early. <laughs> they got to go to the NSYNC concert at Oakland Coliseum in the 10th row when nice. they were 9 and 10. And NSYNC was huge <laughs> <laughs> before Justin Timberlake became Justin Timberlake. <laughs> uh, but it's about, I mean, they, they grew up, and they, but they're as humble as, as I. And, and Jesse, was, it was a time about when they were 11 or 12 years old so this has been about early 2000s and um well no later i could look this up when peter gabriel bought ssl back in the day and uh so just so happened that year that i showed them the movie say anything because they're always a little ahead of their years and it's a seminal movie and lloyd dobler john cusack holds up the boombox and plays in your eyes and uh you know they're preteen and they think it's a great movie sure enough three months later Peter Gabriel's touring in the round and he comes to the Oakland Coliseum and as an editor at Mix I decide we're to cover the Peter Gabriel tour and <laughs> call production talk to their sound people in advance and then um, got tickets for me and my daughters they're 12 and 11 and he does uh, he's around, He's doing the show in the round with a, a canoe that goes around a bicycle it's a very very fun show very but when cool. he plays when he plays in your eyes we're in the 10th row in the round and he's literally standing right in front of us and yeah. It's a pretty good moment to share with your oh, yeah. 12 and 11 year old daughters, yeah. right? That was uh, all, 
That was 2005. Look that 2005, up. okay. 14, 2005. 15 year old daughters. Damn it. I, this is what happens after 50. You know, you forget the, the age ranges. But um, so we do all this. And um, this happens. And then flash forward to a couple months, it's AES New York. And Peter Gabriel and David Engelke had bought SSL a month before that AES. And I get a call from Deborah Pagan. A wonderful PR person in the yeah. who uh, tells me that Peter's going to be at AES and would like there's an opportunity for two editors to go to lunch with him, me and Frank Wells at Pro Sound News. Oh, yeah. So I said I would love to. Well, it's like two weeks before the show. It was a surprise announcement. And so my daughter's with me that weekend. She's at the iMac in the kitchen at that point. I remember, and I hang up the phone. I go, Jesse, I'm I'm going to, uh, next week at AES. Guess who I'm having lunch with? She goes, who? Peter Gabriel. And dead pitch. She said, you better buy some new clothes, Dad. And I, <laughs> I laughed. And I, I, and I did buy some new clothes. So there we go to AES. It's Saturday afternoon lunch. We're going out to be picked up at the Javits Center and taken in a limo to Midtown. And I'm, I'm waiting, and there's Peter Gabriel standing by the limo. And I don't like to approach that. I, I finally have the courage to walk up to him. And I say, uh, Sorry, Peter. I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times about in your eyes and say anything and Lloyd Dobler and everything. But here's here's my story. And he, he looks me in the eye and just laughs. And I tell him about Jesse and seeing the movie, going to the concert, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, would you like me to write something down, Tom? I go, no, no, no. I'm being humble. No, no, no. That's fine. Thank you. I just wanted to tell you it's a magic moment for my family. So we go to lunch, and there's 10 people around the table, and I, I'm, lucky, I sit by him, I'm lucky enough, and um, we're talking about real-world studios. We're talking about world music, Puta Mayo label, all these things. And finally, at the end of lunch, I, uh, all I have is a business card. I've left my backpack, and I ask the waiter for a pen, and I reach over, and I say, you know what, Peter, can you write something for my daughter? I, I'm sorry, but you asked me two hours ago, and now I'm going to take you up on it. And um sure. I pull out my business card from Mix, get the pen from the waiter, and he writes, Dear Jesse, and he spelled it right, J-E-S-S-E. I don't know how he knew that. He said, Dear Jesse, your dad looks great in his new clothes. Peter. And he put a little sunburst over the E in Peter, the first E. And I go, and I gave that to my daughter. She has it to this day. And I, I laughed. Your dad looks great in his new clothes. That's my relationship with Peter Gabriel. <laughs> fun, a fun one. Yeah. He won't remember it, but it meant the world to a fourteen-year-old uh, girl. Absolutely, and yeah, that's great. It's a good story. Yeah. And so that's a. Those are fun things that I've been fortunate. I mean, to just fall into in a way. Yeah, yeah. it's a. Yeah. It's a really great story. And with that great story, we've run out of time, and we are going to conclude this episode of the Focus Right Pro podcast. Next week, we'll be back with more great stories from Mr. Tom Kenny in part two of this three-part series. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focus Right Pro podcast. This mostly bi-monthly podcast is produced and hosted by me, Dan Hughley, for Focus Right. Music is by Merlin. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at FocusRightPro. For more information, please visit our website at www.pro.focusright.com. You know what you get when you cross John Denver with Michael Bolton? 
Barney. Oh, there's a dog barking. Sorry, everybody. I will get right to that, but we're not allowed to use the word pivot anymore. 